Lovecraftian vaginas. <laughs> Great. You're not allowed to say things anymore. <laughs> that's, that's the end for you. That's why I love you. Very awkward. I bet you that I'm going to make Lovecraftian vaginas my bullshit intro to this episode, and some octogenarian is going to go like, "Ooh, I do like history," and <laughs> and this one is it looks very interesting. I find your accent racist and it's cultural <laughs> appropriation, and I'm not here for it. The British are not down with cultural appropriation. We don't say the word vagina. We don't talk about them or think about them or use them or look at them or do anything. So, hello, you're listening to Everything is Awful Forever, a comedy history podcast where we laugh about how bad the past was. Done. That's it. That's the introduction. That's what you're listening to. Are all the people in this episode now dead? Are we all dead? Because my episode this week is talking about The Walking Dead. I'm going to be talking about replacements. How some things that you think in your life are not as they seem. They have been replaced by evil demons or Nazi UFOs. But speaking of our boyfriends. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, we need to introduce ourselves too, I guess. I assume I'm Philippa. I might be Jessica. It's very possible. Philippa, one can't believe impossible things. I dare say you haven't had much practice, said the Queen. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Can you believe impossible things? I once believed I would find a fulfilling job in my field. <laughs> <laughs> Can the belief in impossible things cause you to murder? Yes. Absolutely. And that's the end of the podcast. I answered my own question, it's fine. So basically, Philip and I are constantly watching Hannibal. Like, ceaselessly watching it, apparently. 24-7. We've been watching it for six months already now, I guess. <laughs> Philip, like, months ago was like, yes, we've been watching Hannibal. And I was like, eh, you know, I haven't seen that for ages, and so now I'm watching it too, and now we're just watching it on a loop forever. It's on in the background right now. So what this bunch of non-sequiturs that I've been leading up to is about is there was a, an episode of Hannibal where someone believes that they are dead. It's just very fascinating, so that's kind of one of the things that led me to look into this topic of body parts or things being replaced. We basically now watch Hannibal, which inspires us <laughs> to research certain episodes. Every episode we should find one and then do... And link it to Hannibal. Yeah, like, yeah, they'll be like, this is from this episode of Hannibal where they're growing mushrooms and I want to talk about Cordyceps fungus because it's fucking terrifying. Our listeners will be like, guys, Hannibal came out years ago. <laughs> guys, it's been six years. Shut up! <laughs> it's relevant! <laughs> Name me an interesting relevant program. So, I need to say that such a rare percentage of mental disorders actually cause one to violence. But it's the violent ones that get the headlines. Those oh, are the interesting right. ones. Much like the female poisoners, mm -hmm. they're rare, but they capture everyone's imagination. When people think mentally illness, they think, oh, they might hurt you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I was also inspired not only by Hannibal, but also by your episode on Bridget Cleary. Ooh. She was murdered by her husband, convinced that she had been taken by a changeling. Mm -hmm. So, perhaps the phenomenon... Phenomenon. Perhaps the phenomenon of replacements of your loved ones, body parts, or your own blood is not as rare as we might hope. 
Did you say your own blood? That's right. Your own blood being replaced. Your own blood, blood, your <laughs> bloody parts, and your blood. <laughs> I love that your northern accenting was not your blood. Your blood. So the Capgras delusion, named after Joseph Capgras, a French psychiatrist who first described the disorder in 1923. It's a psychiatric condition where you believe the people around you are imposters. I'm fairly confident that the people in my life are paid actors <laughs> whose jobs <laughs> is to try and make me feel good about myself. Oh, so they're like a Truman Show sort of Philippa situation. Mm. Okay. My mother knew from an early age that she was going to have to hire a full cast of mm. supporting friends. You know who you are. Yeah, they know. So the people with Capgras delusion believe that their loved ones had been replaced, but they're exactly the same. A 30-year-old Brazilian man had been in a coma for three weeks after a head injury from a traffic accident. He was recovering pretty well, seeming alert, intelligent, and lucid, and his parents brought him back home, all being well. Two years later, so this had been escalating for two years, they brought him back because he was absolutely convinced that his parents had been replaced by doppelgangers. That must be very scary. Isn't that terrifying? You must feel as if you're in the middle of a horror movie, like yeah. that moment where you look in your reflection in the mirror and then, like, winks at you and it's like, wink, wink, wink. I know. This whole thing is that there was not really anything else wrong. There wasn't any, like, underlying other things, like I'm going to talk a little bit later on. The Cotards is often linked to schizophrenia, but this is, it's like, you just have this, mm. where you believe fervently that someone is being replaced in your life. And again, that's terrifying because that's so insidious. The people you love and they're someone sinister maybe taking their place. Mm. It kind of takes you very deep into the uncanny valley mm. because suddenly all that familiarity that your loved ones are going to display towards you, like the little in-jokes and the winks, are going to seem very sinister yes. and off and you're just going to go like, oh. Yeah, it, it takes on this dark undertone. These people mm. are meant to give you comfort and you look at them and you don't have that emotional connection with them anymore. It's almost like you're rationalizing the absolutely irrational. Mm. So it's like, I feel no love for this person anymore, but they're exactly the same. So I know it sounds crazy, but they must be replaced by something else. So is that what it is? Like the emotional center of your brain that links you to this person is cut off? Looks like it. From most of these things, they have been linked to trauma, like head trauma causes it. There's some damage in the amygdala, which is where the emotional center mostly is, where it isn't giving you that message that you used to feel. Mm. So all that warmth and love isn't connecting to you. So you look at this person, you're supposed to feel warmth and love. You don't. So that must be, they're not who they are. Mm. Very creepy. Very interesting. So he was convinced more that his father was an imposter more than his mother, although he oh. thought that they both were. When they asked why he thought his father was an imposter, his response was, he looks exactly like my father, but he really isn't. He's a nice guy, but he's not my father, doctor. And they wanted to find out a little bit more, so they kept prying, like, why would a man pretend to be your father? And he replied, that's what's so surprising, doctor. Why would anyone want to pretend to be my father? Maybe my father employed him to take care of me, paid him some money so that he could pay my bills. So he knew, it's like, yeah, I don't know, it doesn't make sense, he's just a normal guy, but he just isn't my father. Oh. 
When you say he believed it was more his father that had been replaced by his mother, mm. did he just kind of feel like maybe my mother was replaced? Or mm. was it yeah. like sometimes on, sometimes off? Yeah, it was a little bit on and off. Like his his father was absolutely, this isn't the guy, but he was a little bit more, you know, on and off with the mother. Mm. Yeah, he was rational in every other part of his life, even knowing that it was strange that anyone would want to be his parents, yet he was utterly convinced. He would only react this way when he was seeing his parents. So oh. even photographs of them he knew that they weren't his parents but when he was speaking on the phone he knew that they were oh that's weird yeah great so he would talk to them on the phone recognize them to be his real parents but then when seeing them or seeing photographs of them they were replacements does that include old photographs actually seeing old photographs even photographs of himself he wasn't convinced that that was him either he thought that that was a replacement mm. so now it's getting into the terrifying thing of are you who you are if you're being replaced by something unknown, oh. is he? Hmm. <laughs> it isn't always people that are being replaced in this way in Capra. Sometimes it's objects or pets as well. Well, that's absolutely realistic. Aren't you going to go to bed thinking of all your loved ones and your pets and your items being the same? Or are they being replaced by Nazi UFOs? I worry more about people coming into my bedroom while I sleep and licking everything I have. <laughs> Why? <laughs> It's the same item, it's just been licked. Oh no, is that worse? Which one? I don't like, know. Would you rather have a replacement of a clean night? Is what you're saying. <laughs> I would like somebody to come in and replace all my licked items with something new. With clean, unlicked ones, that's right. But I mean, we've all had our parents who replaced our pet job all six times in a row. That's right. Maybe was we were trained from a young age. Wasn't my gerbil black before? No! Let's <laughs> always look, we're going to Disneyland! Yay! Which is why I deliberately chose a rabbit with one eye that was smaller than the other. <laughs> so I would know <laughs> if anybody replaced her for any reason. Mm-hmm. I'm not paranoid. <laughs> You're one step ahead, Philippa. Can't get up in the morning and replace your bunnies. <laughs> That's right. So, one doctor reported a patient who believed that his poodle had been replaced with an identical dog. Which, again, that's not super irrational. I suppose with a dog, they have a lot more of a personality than, say, a gerbil or a fish, but it isn't known for people to do that. Sad for the dog, though. It's very sad for the dog, yeah. I I just care about the dog. Another doctor reported a patient who believed that during the night, his running shoes and many other personal possessions were being replaced. I, I'm just going to be, the whole episode, I'm going to be like, that's weird. Yeah, this whole thing is very, it's just like we were saying earlier about when things are awful forever, as we like to talk about nasty stuff, this one is more like really fascinating and a little bit scary. So for the running shoes, yeah. did the idea that somebody was breaking into his house every night and replacing his running shoes, did that scare him? Or was he more just like, ah, I mean, it's happening and I don't know why, but... Okay. Considering that the fact that he went to doctors meant that he was probably... Rather than the police. Yeah, exactly. Like, knowing that it was strange, that's that's the thing with this, is like, people know that it isn't right, but they're so convinced. It's like, it's happening to me, I need to go somewhere else. Maybe they went to the police and then, you know, something happened and they were like, mm, that's weird, no, we're not replacing <laughs> all your stuff, go to the doctor. I'm going to ask you all of these questions as if you are a licensed psychiatrist. <laughs> and I am. But what if you put a camera to film your running shoes all night... Mm. And then you would see that nobody was replacing them. 
would you just... I guess, I guess, like you say, you would just know that something was wrong because you absolutely believe this, even in the face absolutely. of proof. So it would be like, this proof isn't really proof. The proof was fabricated or nothing, and even so. Mm. It's like people who really, really believe something will believe it even further sometimes when they're given evidence to the contrary. It's like, mm-hmm. when, you know, when you're arguing with somebody and they're proven wrong, but then they just double down even more? It's that like is that. me. Yeah. That is absolutely <laughs> me. These patients didn't really take action against their doppelganger invaders, but some do. Recently, I know, quite contemporary, Irishman Niall Stapleton had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. So this one is, um, he does have other things going on in his life. Anyway, paranoid schizophrenia, but unfortunately, and perhaps a symptom of his disorder, he didn't believe the diagnosis, so failed to take his medication. He believed it was a conspiracy that the government plotted against him and wanted people to get addicted to drugs. So one day, Niall was attending a barbecue with his family, and people in his family described his behaviour as very erratic and paranoid. He believed his sister's boyfriend was putting LSD in his cans of beer, and said that he was afraid to go to the barber for fear that he might be held as a captive. This is just general paranoid schizophrenia delusion sort of thing. When it comes to him having Cap Gras is by the next day, he saw his mother Siobhan in the garage, believed that she was an imposter. So he killed her. Oh. Yeah. He felt by killing her, the doppelganger would disintegrate from her body. A little bit like Cleary. Yeah, with the mm-hmm. changelings, whereby putting the fairy in the fire it would go up the chimney and mm-hmm. you'd come back and see your wife again. Exactly. He butchered her repeatedly by repeatedly beating her in the head with the handle of a shovel. Very grim. Later, when he revisited the scene, he realized in horror that it wasn't the imposter, <gasps> that, that it was so his own mother. Sad. It's horrible, isn't it? Mm. This horrible delusion, and it causes you to do that. Oh, I, I can really just imagine the sick feeling that you would. Yeah. Thought really like, oh. Yeah. This is even worse. Are you ready? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> One recent and deeply tragic incident. Uh, I'm just going to. Uh, Spoiler, or not spoiler, I guess di- disclaimer this a little bit. This episode is actually quite disturbing as well because a lot of the, a lot of the murder and stuff is, is very strong. And this one involves a child and it's very sad. So skip ahead or something. Or change to one of our happier episodes. Yes, which is a happier one. Weird things you can put in your mouth. Yes! We have cursed cheese. Go to the cursed cursed cheese episode. That was a good one. Eat me, drink me, listen to that one. Okay, yep. A father dismembered his seven-year-old disabled son because he believed that his son had been replaced with a CPR dummy. He believed that so much that even at trial, he still purported that he had disassembled a CPR dummy. The child's body was found in several bin bags when they discovered the murder. And he still believed it right up until the end that he was replaced with a CPR dummy. I guess that's almost... (laughs) Cuba doesn't like this. (laughs) I I guess that's almost better because better he go on believing that because can you imagine knowing what you've done? God, I know. So yeah, that was interesting of people that thought had been replaced by an item instead of even another Mm. person. Much like Cleary, killing his wife to rid the world of the imposter. These people are not murderers with intent to harm, but desperation driving them to the last resort to force Mm. out the doppelgangers and the imposters that are in their lives. For some, it isn't the entire person being replaced, but just some body parts or fluids. Which brings us to Qatar delusion. 
So, named by Dr. Jules Cotard in 1882, Cotard's syndrome, or Cotard's delusion, can range from beliefs that one has lost organs, blood, body parts, to insisting that the soul is dead, or that they are putrefying, and sometimes it's called the walking dead syndrome. Oh, I want, yeah. Yeah, there you go. You were making <laughs> no. fun of me earlier, now. <laughs> Take that back. Now the <laughs> egg is on the other face. That's right. <laughs> So a 53-year-old Filipino woman was admitted to the psychiatric unit when her family called 999 because she believed she was dead. She thought that she smelled like rotting flesh and she wanted to be taken to a morgue that, so that she could be with dead people. Oh, this upsets me very much. It's also very weird that you'd be like, well, I'm dead. Guess I've got to go to the morgue. Well, i got to go to the morgue. i got to go there, I guess. Whereas <laughs> if, if I believed I was dead, I'd be like, time to eat brains. <laughs> I've been waiting for this all my life. Yeah, yeah it's very it's very goth, isn't it, as well? Like, you're just going to go to the graveyard and just kind of hang around there Well, This episode is kind of itching at parts of me that I had long buried in my unconscious. <laughs> Like, I'm just so viscerally imagining what it would be like. Like, I have this frequent nightmare where my teeth are just loose in my mouth. Oh, yes, me too. And Isn't that horrible? It's terrible. And I've yeah. got to spend my whole dream kind of like holding my mouth open and not poking my teeth with my tongue because they're loose and they're going to fall out. Mm. And then I can just imagine what you'd feel like with, oh, this isn't my blood, this isn't my organs, somebody's yeah. replaced my teeth. Yeah. It's so scary and upsetting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's so it's, so good. <laughs> it has it has the weird surreality of a nightmare. Yeah, it does. And because they they believe it so wholeheartedly too. Mm. And, and again, I think that's what scares me the most. Like for a lot of these people everything else in their life is sort of normal, but then you are so convinced that your foot is, is wrong or something <laughs> that you're like, What do you do in that situation? As you as a rational person, what would you do? And then you know that there are very real conditions like alien hand syndrome. Yes. And it's like is I don't know. <laughs> Ooh. Upon an interview in the hospital, she expressed fear that the paramedics were trying to burn down her house where she was living. She also admitted to hopelessness, low energy, a decreased appetite, and she was pretty solemn. So, yeah, decreased appetite is pretty prevalent because they're dead. They don't need to eat anymore. So they're not going to, you know? And I guess the tummy rumblings are just... The pain of being dead. So she doesn't need to eat. She was also very isolative, spending much of the day in bed, neglecting her personal hygiene and grooming, because, again, dead, dead. you don't need to. Yeah, like, a corpse doesn't need to groom or be clean. If you already smell like rotting flesh, there's only so much perfume's gonna do anyway. <laughs> Sometimes these untreated delusions can lead to something horrible and sinister, mostly through lack of care or from notice from institutions that fail to help this person. And in so many cases, some grisly crimes could have been spotted and possibly prevented if more care had been taken to those with mental health issues. Hindsight is a luxury, though. So with that in mind, here's a very famous Cotard's case, Richard Chase. Are you ready, <laughs> Philippa? I'm absolutely not ready. It's so very bad. Is Richard, Richard Chase is dead? Uh, he's dead. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And he's dead, and it's like, he is dead and in hell, and we can spit on his grave. In advance, I'm going to say, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Richard Trenton Chase, born the 23rd of May, 1950. He was also called the Vampire of Sacramento. So, here's Richard Chase's background. I'm going to talk a little bit about his murders, but mostly I'm going to talk about his background, because that's the interesting part here. Like, the murder stuff is grisly, but isn't the fascinating bit to me? 
So his parents were quite loving and supportive. However, his father was a little bit too strict. A lot of articles I were reading were saying that he, that parents were abusive, but it was just kind of like abusive in the fact that it was the 1950s and so everyone mm. kind of like beat up the kids and that's just kind of like normal. So like, yeah, they were abusive, but like not by our standards. Yes, exactly. Oh wait, is that the way around? Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yes. Our standards abusive, but for the 1950s, it wasn't really that much of an outlier from what they normally were, apart from his dad, again, a bit too strict, but... So they didn't differ from other families, not really? too, Not too greatly, no. By the age of 10, Chase displayed three known warning signs of children who grow to become serial killers. Bedwetting, beyond the normal age, cruelty to animals, mm. and setting fires. Setting fires, yay! yay! Cruelty to animals, no. No, no. These three habits are sometimes called the McDonald Triad. The McDonald Triad? Yeah. It was proposed by psychiatrist J.M. McDonald in 1963 because so many serial killers have these things. Why do so many evil things come in triads? Oh, like, yeah. all the pickup artists are like, you must display the dark <laughs> triad, mm. which is what, narcissism and... I don't know. I don't know because I don't make give up, a shit. Mix them up, make it up, Filippo. Narcissism and poor hygiene mm-hmm. and terrible taste in clothes. And the fourth thing are the triad: a fedora, <laughs> milady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> the fedora is just the the shitty cherry on top of the crap cake. <laughs> Also, another thing that serial killers tend to have is a head injury when they're a child. Oh. Yeah, this is like very... It's not in all of them, but it's in so many that it's caused people to really wonder what the fuck. Like, this, the triad and also a head injury. I had a head injury as a child. I had a head injury like a few years ago. <laughs> we could... Shit! Oh my god! <laughs> Maybe just we all have head injuries. I think so. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew bedwetting and murdering you bedwetting upon animals that you're setting on fire i will say yes to setting things on fire mm. i have absolutely set things on fire oh. including my preschool playhouse <gasps> i was gonna say candles don't count philippa but no, tell I... me everything <laughs> <laughs> did the people who hurt you also go inside the fire they won't hurt you anymore well, fire cleanses all. I was going to say, well, my little brother was with me. <laughs> Wait, you don't have a little brother. Oops. Oh, you got me. Uh-oh. <laughs> so Richard Chase is kind of a weird kid. When he was 10 years old, his mum said that she found a cat buried in her flower box. When she confided this in a neighbour, the neighbour actually recalled that many, many cats went missing from the neighbourhood the whole time that the chases were in town. Oh. As a teenager, he became a heavy drug user and uh, regularly exhibited symptoms of delusional thinking. So he was abusing marijuana. Marijuana. We use it and can say it's because we're cool. That's very cool. And also LSD. And they're already hallucinogens that kind of cause paranoia. So he was already on the road to developing schizophrenia. These drugs are known to enhance those delusions. But um, he had an okay social life. Something like that. Yeah. As an aside, he was he's well cool. Likes. He's selling drugs, so it's like everyone's like, "Hey, come on, we're going to some drugs," and they're like, "Yeah, I guess I'll have to hang around with you because I want the drugs you're selling." So, uh, yeah, we're f- friends. 
I mean, everybody likes a bad boy, and by that he means <laughs> kill all the neighborhood cats. He's like, no, we like Mads Nicholson. <laughs> what's, what's that in your bag? It's meowing and dripping. He's like, nothing. Just, <laughs> do, do you want this hit on this bone or whatever? What are they called? You know, Spliff. they're doing drugs to each other. It's fine. Like the kids Spliff. do. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm cool. Saying a word like J, that's a drug name. <laughs> so yeah, he was okay at social stuff, apart from he was impotent completely. Ooh, mm-hmm. that can't have made him happy. No, it did not. So this worrying about being impotent led him to believe that he needed to fill his penis with blood. <sighs> he tried to fill his penis with blood from a kitten by drinking it straight from the dead animal. So he sliced its throat and sucked it like an umbongo, like Capri Sun, to try and fill his body with the blood that he was lacking, which is why he couldn't get erect. We're going to need a very special disclaimer. I, I already did half of one. It's okay. Yeah, but dead children are one thing. Animals. <laughs> you need more disclaimers for those. You just wait, Philippa. I'm, I'm amping up. <laughs> <laughs> so he drank straight from the kitten. And he also did it from a dog, too. The kitten didn't work. He was still impotent. So he's like, oh, oh um, need a bigger animal uh, with more robust blood. Get a dog. Which he shot and then um, put a cup up to the leaking holes of the dog to drink from very upsetting yeah he was so obsessed with this problem that he actually voluntarily sought help from a psychiatrist because he's like i cannot get my dick up no matter how much blood i stuff in there so the doctor was unable to help him noted that his problems were a result of his severe mental disorders and repressed anger so they didn't do anything about it though you know Mm, helpful after turning 20 chase moved out of his parents home and in with a couple of roommates he was so weird he just was so weird to these people. I mean, obviously he's like drinking cats and, and, and like screaming about his floppy penis the whole time. So like, you know, a bit weirded out by him. He was like, what? No, no, I'm just sitting in horror. He was just like, go on, tell me about the vampire cat boy. His roommates were bothered by him constantly scarfing on cats, taking a million drugs and so... So did they know about the cats? Um, I don't think that they saw him do it directly, but he's just so weird, and he would talk about blood all the time. And he was also just so into drugs. There was one time we were having a party where he just kind of like got on the floor and started flopping around like a fish out of water. That was before breakdancing was cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were just like, that's a cool dance you're doing there, Richard Chase. I need more blood in my penis! Okay, we'll be in our room. And he's there just screeching on the floor, flopping like, What around. are you doing? Are you getting it on? Because I can't. Are you... <sighs> Fetch me more cats! So That's absolutely what he was doing. So they tried to get him to leave. Also, he was filthy. Absolutely filthy because he refused to take a shower and never washed his clothes. And so he's probably like caked in blood as well. And just, he just, so they asked him to leave. He refused. And so they left. (laughs) I have absolutely been in that situation myself. (laughs) Covered in blood. And then, and then people are like, Philippa, can you please take a shower? No. (laughs) 
here's when he started to get really obsessed that things were going wrong inside of his body. Because now he's living alone. So he thought his stomach was turned backwards and that someone had stolen his pulmonary artery. He thought that his bones were growing out with the back of his head. He shaved his head, actually, just so that he could, like, I guess, find and see the bones that were growing out of his head. Imagine how scary that is, though. Like, you're living alone, you're already kind of weird and, and torturing animals, but then, like, you think, oh, your body is basically disintegrating around you. I want to hate him, but I do also acknowledge that he was suffering from mental illness. Absolutely. And he would have been on a lot of pain and fear. Yeah. It doesn't make the animal killing alright. No, but... it, it doesn't, con- It doesn't like, excuse or condone any of this stuff, but it's sort of like, help could have been given at mm. so many points. But then this was, um, like, the 60s and 70s at this point, and it was so rudimentary back then. Mm. Like, a lot of drugs for schizophrenia basically just, like, dulled you down. And so, sometimes not taking them was, you know, you didn't want someone to be just sedated all the time. Very sad, though. Isolation is probably the worst thing you could do for someone with schizophrenia. There was no buffer for his delusions, so his paranoia just kept escalating. In this time, he kind of moved house between his mom and his dad for a little bit, but he eventually moved away to live with his grandparents. But then eventually his parents got him his own flat, finally. Isolate him more! That's the idea. Just put him in a little echo chamber of his own mind. That's it's right. fucking go wrong. That's right. He was officially diagnosed by schizophrenia now. He, whilst living alone, Philippa, please, would you like something to cuddle right now? I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> you can, can you do it? He would bike back and forth from a rabbit farm and... Oh, guys... <laughs> Jess is just looking into my little face being like, it's I mean, not going to go well. I've got lovely bunnies too, so he would drink the blood from rabbits a lot. That was his like main thing. Again, he was obsessed filling himself with blood. He would drink them from the animal itself or sometimes toss them into a blender and drink the whole thing. So he would put the animal, poor little bunny corpses in the blender, have a little bunny smoothie horrible. He said that he liked killing rabbits because they were like little machines. They are little people. They're little love machines of cuteness and friendship. He is absolutely wrong, and that is the biggest sign of his mental instability. Because they're like little machines. Yeah, I don't know why. No, not. Because they go like, hop, hop, hop? I don't know. Or they just like little little like portable Capri Suns that he just wanted to have. I don't know. He thought that his heart was shrinking and that his heart would disappear if he didn't fill it up with blood. So again, this terrifying thing that he's going to die if he doesn't drink all this is kind of moved beyond the penis thing now. And now it's just like his life. He's going to die if he doesn't do this. I know how we talk about, you know, people go, oh, I would never have been a Nazi. I would never have kept a slave. Mm. I would never kill my bunny. I would die first. You see, we were talking about this earlier of what would you do in a zombie apocalypse or, you know, some kind of apocalyptic situation. And I would definitely eat my rabbits as a very last resort. It would be the absolute last thing, but if I was going to starve, I would eat them. <laughs> I love them dearly, but I think I would. No, I would. I would die before I would eat Bun Bun. Yeah. I just, how could I look into that little face oh. that I've promised to protect? And, I know. And then betray that trust. <sighs> now I'm going back on myself. Now you put it that way, it's like, oh god, I love them. I need to take care of them now. I nearly killed a man once when he threatened Bun Bun. <laughs> really? <Yes. What> happened? <laughs> so I moved to the UK and Bun Bun had to spend four months in quarantine, which was very stressful for me and I guess for her since she was in bunny jail essentially. Yeah, four months. 
bunny jail for bunny immigrants. Finally, I got to go to England to the the quarantine centre to pick her up because there aren't any quarantine centres in Scotland. And then they'd gotten rid of her her little ca- her carry cage. Oh. So I didn't have a carry cage to take her back home, and that was very handy. Yeah. So they could only give me this massive box mm-hmm. to put her in, this big kind of wooden box with cage cage walls. Right. So I had to carry this thing on the train all the way back to Scotland. It was very stressful. Hard, yeah. And it was on a Saturday, and all the English were drinking. <laughs> so at As one... is our one. <laughs> Your national hobby. That's right. As I was climbing the stairs to get to the next train, because I had to run with this massive box from train to train to train to get back home, mm. this drunk guy on the stairway started slamming his hands down on the box. Oh, God. To try and get me to drop it. And Fucking hell. England. Ugh. I was stressed out of my mind because I was scared that Bun Bun would get so stressed that she'd have a heart attack and die. Yeah. And she was already freaked out going like, I spent four months in bunny jail and now I'm in this box with this person I don't remember and it's moving. Uh, And I was stressed because I didn't want to miss the trains. So (laughs) I shoved him with the box and he fell down the entire stairwell. And I didn't stop to see if he was fine, and I hope he died. I like you just turn around with like a hair flip, and I'm just like, harumph, and everyone's staring at you. That's a big <laughs> Slytherin energy right there. No. So I take that back. I'm not eating my bunnies. We'll all die. It's fine. I'm glad I've converted you back to that cause. <laughs> so here, his um, Coutard syndrome was in full swing. His heart would disappear if he didn't fill it up with blood. His dad would sometimes come over to visit him sometimes. So he would come over to play cards, something like that. They would hang out. And he found Richard Chase with severe blood poisoning. It was because he had been injecting rabbit blood directly into his veins. So no longer eating and drinking it, but actually injecting it into his veins. Putting it straight in. Afterwards, he was finally institutionalized. Finally. After all this, he'd been, like, killing and drinking rabbits and cats for years. I I know people always go to blame the mother or blame the parents, but I just didn't they notice... Yeah, I know. It's this is the thing. It's like at so many points, something could have happened to stop this or help him go on a different path. I love that we've discussed hundreds of murders up until now, but now <laughs> the funny one is like it could have been stopped. It could have been stopped. <laughs> hundreds of bunnies died needlessly killed by this bunny serial killer. Yeah, the horror. Oh, the horror. What all. has man become? After he was found with the blood poisoning, they finally institutionalized him. In this institution, he was given the nickname Dracula because he would only ever talk about blood. That's all he ever talked about. Just absolutely obsessed. Blood. Blood. Blood, blah, 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 blood. He reminds me of Renfield. Ha! That's funny because oh. also <laughs> they kind of nicknamed him Renfield as well because of like, mm. you know, like trying to eat things to absorb their power. The blood is the life. Yeah, so it was like keeping on the Dracula theme with him and Renfield, having like a bit of Renfield syndrome, catards, all sorts of shit going on with this guy. He was found in his cell with two dead birds with their heads cut off and their blood sucked out. So even in prison, he's thinking he's dying. He's got to do something about it. He's got to get birds to drink from them because he's going to die. His heart's going to shrink if he doesn't have blood all the time. And he's been put in this prison where people don't seem to care. They don't seem to care. In fact, after this blood bird situation, he was moved from the institution to a hospital for the criminally insane. A year later, he was deemed no longer a threat to society and was released. Why? 
into his the sink. mother weaned him off his medication and stuffed him back into the flat alone that he lived in, where he was fucking painted in rabbit blood and bird feathers. I do kind of blame the parents a little bit at this stage. <laughs> yeah. So that's mostly about all of his catards, where he was acting violently, but to save his life in his mind. Mm. Also to get hard, which is, you know... Very important. Very I mean, who are you if you don't have an erection? <laughs> who indeed? <laughs> so, the murders. On December the 29th of 1977, he killed 51-year-old Ambrose Griffin in a drive-by shooting. So this is where his escalation really goes up. He's been living alone. He's like, cats and things aren't satisfying him anymore. Griffin was helping his wife bring groceries back into the house when he was shot and killed by Chase. On January the 11th, so not that long after... Chase attacked a neighbour after he asked for a cigarette and then restrained her until she turned over the entire pack. And did people know that he'd done it? He sort of straddles the line between a spree and a serial killer. All this stuff is very close together. It all is like within a month. So they didn't really have that much time to react, but then they did react very quickly because it's incredibly grisly. Two weeks later, he broke into a house, robbed it, urinated inside a drawer containing infant clothing and then defecated in the child's bedroom. The owner came back, which interrupted him, and so he fled. Because what Chase would do would go around the unlocked doors of homes and enter them, because he said that if the door was locked, it was a sign that he was not wanted. However, if it was unlocked, it was an invitation to enter. Very vampire. Very vampire. And did he ever explain why he would go in and crap in people's homes? Or No. I mean, I, why, why are we looking <laughs> yeah, I mean, for a reason? <laughs> why did you crap on the kid's bed? Soft uh, kitty blankets are better than two blankets. <laughs> I, just, I just really knew when you gotta go, you gotta go. It's just, you know. Somebody would be like, why not? <laughs> this is where it gets bad. On the 23rd of January, again, all kind of within a month, Teresa Wallen, pregnant at her home alone. Yep, Philip is making a face. She was taking out the bins when Chase entered through her unlocked door. Chase, using the same gun that he used to kill Griffin, shot Teresa three times, killing her, raped her corpse, and butchered her with a knife. He removed multiple organs from her, cut off one of her nipples, and then drank her blood. Uh, before leaving, he collected dog feces from the yard and stuffed it into the victim's mouth and down her throat. It's just so brutal. Like, it's just, there's, there's so many facets of brutality to that. Not only, like, he's not doing it to keep himself alive anymore. He's drinking her blood, yes, but then, like, stuffing dog shit in her face? That's just to humiliate her. So then, on the 27th of January, not long after, the bodies of Evelyn Miroth, age 38, her six-year-old son, Jason, and friend, Dan Meredith, were found murdered inside Evelyn's home. Evelyn's 22-month-old nephew, who she was babysitting at the time, was missing. So Dan Meredith's body was found in the hallway. He was killed by a direct gunshot wound to the head. Evelyn and Jason were found in Evelyn's bedroom. Jason had been shot twice in the head. Evelyn's corpse had been raped and sodomized multiple times. Her stomach had been cut open and various organs removed. Her throat was cut and she had been sodomized with a knife. Oh, God, it's so awful. And uh, there was a failed attempt to remove one of her eyeballs. 
they were unable to find the infant David, and the police didn't think that David would still be alive as they found lots of blood in his cot. So yeah, eventually they did catch Chase because of this, because he wasn't really very good at hiding evidence or anything. Chase later told police that he brought the dead infant to his apartment. After mutilating the baby's body, he disposed of the corpse at a nearby church, which is where it was found. What he left at the scene were clear handprints and shoe prints, which is what led the police to find him, because he really wasn't very careful. All of this also happened like a mile within his house, it was all like kept around his flat. So, in 1979, a jury found Chase guilty on six counts of first-degree murder, sentenced to die in the gas chamber. Prisoners were so disturbed by the brutal gruesomeness of his killing, the fact that he killed babies and raped the dead corpses of women, that they were all trying to goad him into killing himself, which he did do. He managed to get enough prescribed antidepressants to kill himself. And he was found dead on the 26th of December, 1980. Happy ending. So what was the rationale for killing these people? He said it was Nazi UFOs and soap. That just came out of nowhere. (laughs) Right? Nazi UFOs. Nazi UFOs were telepathically ordering him to kill others, otherwise they would turn his blood into powder. So that was one of the things that he needed to drink people blood because his blood was turning into powder inside his body, keeping himself alive, stopping his heart from drinking, stopping the blood from turning to powder. And also, if he believed that this, if the soap dish was dry on the bottom, he was safe. But if the soap dish had more of a gelatinous kind of like wet texture, he was doomed a slow death. His answer. Of, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, this did, is important. Did he forget that he used it? And he's like, oh, my blood powder, oh my god! Yeah. So that's Richard Chase, Cotard syndrome, and things being replaced in your body, which causes you to murder everyone and everything around you. That was heavy. Comedy <laughs> podcast! <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It is absolutely the mentally ill who are harmed, rather than vice versa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say it's in any way right for us to be like, well, the few cases we have are just so <laughs> terrible. That's, they are terrible. They are. I think this is the tragic thing, where it's that kind of thing where one thing happens and it poisons the cause or the thing forever. So it's like the majority of people with schizophrenia don't go around and drink everyone's blood. But then because this one thing happened, then it poisons that for everyone else. But, uh, yes. Chase ruined being schizophrenic for all the other schizophrenics. It was fine before Chase came along, and then suddenly, you know, everyone's tweeting about it, and (laughs) it becomes trending, and it's bad. (laughs) Just like pumpkin spice lattes. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Chase. (laughs) Get hold of it and just fucking ruin it. Paranoid schizophrenia that makes you murder the people around you? Ugg boots. <laughs> Can we have nothing nice anymore? They're exactly the same, and they're all ruined by white women. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. How much of that is staying in? <laughs> I'm just going to edit out the entire podcast. That's, this episode, like, I was like, where's, that, where's the Jess episode? It's like, it shall not be. The episode we can never talk about. It shall not come to pass. It's yeah. going straight into the vault. Mm. It is very scary what our minds can do to us. Exactly. I mean, Chase was obviously incredibly disturbed, and that was the 
the most extreme of the circumstances. But then I started off the episode with that guy who was mostly kind of normal, except for the thing where he thought people were replaced. I think the tragedy with Chase really just is that nobody stopped to think about what was going on. Yep. There were so many, as I said throughout, so many points where he could have had more help. Like you said, hindsight is twenty twenty, but yeah. mm. even then, Somewhere? in the sixties, yeah, I know. Mm. Like the fact that he was institutionalized and then released a year later. <gasps> oh, difficult, isn't it? Oh no. <laughs> oh dear. So I think we need a really good. Some things are good sometimes to balance that out, but I really don't have one. Wait, yes, we do. We made a really good cake. We made a murder cake, and it looks like it's drenched in blood. And, and it's... so do our teeth right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Vampires. Also, wine, lips, and teeth. Because we always drink red wine. Which is funny, because I actually like white wine more. But, <gasps> but this is the only time that I drink red wine, so I enjoy the occasion. And I'm slowly inundating you with Pinotage, the grapes of my people. The cake was delicious. We decorated it with red icing to look like blood, and then we wrote on it, awful forever. <laughs> it seems darker now. <laughs> now. Now we're like, oh, we made a cute cake. We had like a little afternoon of decorating a cake together. Oh, it's like all bleeding and says awful forever on it. Just like the bunnies. Oh, I'm sad now. I suppose <laughs> that is my some things are good sometimes, though. My happy thing is that my partner bought me a book. And Yay. he especially went to the bookstore to pick it up for me because I wanted something interesting and exciting about the formation of the London Zoo. Yay. And now I have it, and I'm going to read it. And I'm going to make a happy episode about zoos, prisons, <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm going to do a happy episode next. Maybe one that doesn't have a murder in it either. But I also think that I can't stop, and I will. And I'm going to do one entirely about murders. We... <laughs> Did you hear that? That's the sound of a dog that thinks you should follow us. Hey, Kiva, what's our username? <laughs> Twitter is awful forever pod. With all of that in mind, Kiba, how's life? Life is burp. No. Kiba, how's life? Life is rough.